Chapter Six of the Papers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was demonic of Bite who immediately answered that he would tell him with pleasure who every one was, and she felt this the more when her friend, making light of the rest of the entertainment they had quitted, advised their sacrificing it and proceeding to the other scene. He was really too eager for his victim. She wondered what he wanted to do with him. He could only play him at the most a practical joke, invent appetizing identities, once they were at table, for the dull consumers around. No one, at the place they most frequented, had an identity in the least appetizing. No one was any one or anything. It was apparently of the essence of existence on such terms, the terms at any rate to which she was reduced, that people comprised in it couldn't even minister to each other's curiosity, let alone to envy or awe. She would have wished, therefore, for their pursuer to intervene a little, to warn him against beguilement, but they had moved together along the Strand and then out of it, up in the across street, without her opening her mouth. Bite, as she felt, was acting to prevent this. His easy talk redoubled, and he let his lamb to the shambles. The talk had jumped to poor Beadle. Her friend had startled her by causing it, almost with a violence at a given moment to take that direction, and he thus quite sufficiently stayed her speech. The people she lived with mightn't make you curious, but there was of course always a sharp exception for him. She kept still, in fine, with the wonder of what he wanted, though indeed she might, in the presence of their guest's response, have felt he was already getting it. He was getting, that is, and she was, into the bargain, the fullest illustration of the ravage of a passion. So sublimely Marshall rose to the proposition, infernally thrown off, that, in whatever queer box or tight place Beadle might have found himself, it was something, after all, to have so powerfully interested the public. The insidious, artless way in which Bite made his point. I don't know that I've ever known the public and I watch it, as in my trade we have to, day and night, so consummately interested. They had that phenomenon, the present consummate interest, well before them, while they sat at their homely meal, served with accessories so different from those of the sweet Chippendale, another chord on which the young man played with just the right effect, and it would have been hard to say if the guests were, for the first moments, more under the spell of the marvellous hold on the town achieved by the great absentee, or that of the delicious coarse tablecloth, the extraordinary form of the salt-sellers, and the fact that he had within range of sight at the other end of the room, in the person of the little quiet man with blue spectacles and an obvious wig, the greatest authority in London about the inner life of the criminal classes. Beadle, nonetheless, came up again and stayed up would clearly so have been kept up, had there been need, by their host, that the girl couldn't at last fail to see how much it was for herself that his intention worked. What was it, all the same, since it couldn't be anything so simple as to expose their hapless visitor? What had she to learn about him, especially at the hour of seeing what there was still to learn about Bite? She ended by deciding, for his appearance bore her out, that his explosion was but the form taken by an inward fever. The fever, on this theory, was the result of the final pang of possibility. The mystery of Beadle had grown too dark to be borne, which they would presently feel, 
and he was meanwhile in the phase of bluffing it off precisely because it was to overwhelm him and do you mean you too would pay with your life he put the question agreeably across the table to his guest agreeably of course in spite of his eyes dry glitter his guest's expression at this fairly became beautiful well it's an awfully nice point certainly one would like to feel the great murmur surrounding one's name to be there more or less so as not to lose the sense of it and as i really think you know the pleasure the great city the great empire the world itself for the moment hanging literally on one's personality and giving a start in its suspense whenever one is mentioned big sensation you know that mr marshall pleadingly smiled and of course if one were dead one wouldn't enjoy it one would have to come to life for that naturally bite rejoined only that's what the dead don't do you can't eat your cake and have it the question is he good-naturedly explained whether you'd be willing for the certitude of the great murmur you speak of to part with your life under circumstances of extraordinary mystery his guest earnestly fixed it whether i would be willing mr marshall wonders maud said to bite if you are as a person interested in his reputation definitely proposing to him some such possibility he looked at her on this with mild round eyes and she felt wonderfully that he didn't quite see her as joking he smiled he always smiled but his anxiety showed and he turned it again to their companion you mean uh the knowing how it might be going to be felt well yes call it that the consciousness of what one's unexplained extinction given to start with one's high position would mean wouldn't be able to help meaning for millions and millions of people the point is and i admit it's as you call it a nice one if you can think of the impression so made as worth the purchase naturally naturally there's but the impression you make you don't receive any you can't you've only your confidence so far as that's an impression oh it is indeed a nice point and i only put it to you bite wound up because you know you do like to be recognized mr marshall was bewildered but he was not so bewildered as not to be able a trifle coyly but still quite bravely to confess to that maud with her eyes on her friend found herself thinking of him as of some plump innocent animal more or less of the pink-eyed rabbit or sleek guinea-pig order involved in the slow spell of a serpent of shining scales bite scales truly had never so shone as this evening and he used to admiration which was just a part of the lustre the right shade of gravity he was neither so light as to fail of the air of an attractive offer nor yet so earnest as to betray a jibe he might conceivably have been as an undertaker of improvements in defective notorieties placing before his guest a practical scheme it was really quite as if he were ready to guarantee the murmur if mr marshall was ready to pay the price and the price wouldn't of course be only mr marshall's existence all this at least if mr marshall felt moved to take it so the prodigious thing next was that mr marshall was so moved though clearly as was to be expected with important qualifications do you really mean he asked that one would excite this delightful interest 
you allude to the charged state of the air on the subject of beadle might considered looking volumes it would depend a good deal upon who one is he turned mr marshall again to maud blandy and his eyes seemed to suggest to her that she should put his question for him they forgave her she judged for having so oddly forsaken him but they appealed to her now not to leave him to struggle alone her own difficulty was however meanwhile that she feared to serve him as he suggested without too much by way of return turning his case to the comic whereby she only looked at him hard and let him revert to their friend oh he said with a rich wistfulness from which the comic was not absent of course every one can't pretend to be beadle perfectly but we're speaking after all of those who do count there was quite a hush for the moment while the poor man faltered should you say that i in any appreciable way count howard bite distilled honey isn't it a little question of how much we should find you did or for that matter might as it were be made to in the event of a real catastrophe mr marshall turned pale yet he met it too with sweetness i like the way and he had a glance for maud you talk of catastrophes his host did the comment justice oh it's only because you see we're so peculiarly in the presence of one beadle shows so tremendously what a catastrophe does for the right person his absence you may say doubles quintuples his presence i see i see mr marshall was all there it's awfully interesting to be so present and yet it's rather dreadful to be so absent it had set him fairly musing for couldn't the opposites be reconciled if he is he threw out absent why he's absent of course said bite if he's dead and really dead is what you believe him to be he breathed it with a strange break as if from a mind too full it was on the one hand a grim vision for his own case but it was on the other a kind of a clearance of the field with beadle out of the way his own case could live and he was obviously thinking what it might be to be as dead as that and yet as much alive what his demand first did at any rate was to make howard bite look straight at maud her own look met him but she asked nothing now she felt him somehow fathomless and his practice with their infatuated guest created a new suspense he might indeed have been looking at her to learn how to reply but even with this the case she still had nothing to answer so in a moment he had spoken without her i've quite given him up it sang into marshall after which it produced something he ought then to come back i mean he explained to see for himself to have the impression of the noise he has made yes bite weighed it that would be the ideal and it would if one must call it noise marshall limpidly pursued make a more oh but if you can't can't you mean through having already made so much add to the quantity can't bite was a wee bit sharp come back confound it at all can't return from the dead poor marshall had to take it no not if you are dead well that's what we're talking about maud at this for pity held out a perch mr marshall i think is talking a little on the basis of the possibility of your not being he threw her an instant glance of gratitude and it gave her a push 
So long as you're not quite too utterly, you can come back. Oh, said Byte, in time for the fuss? Before, Marshall met it, the interest has subsided. It naturally then wouldn't, would it, subside? No, Byte granted, not if it hadn't, though wearing out. I mean, your being lost too long, already died out. Oh, of course, his guest agreed. You mustn't be lost too long. A vista had plainly opened to him, and the subject led him on. He hadn't before its extent another pause. About how long, do you think? Well, Byte had to think. I should say Beadle had rather overdone it. The poor gentleman stared. But if he can't help himself... Byte gave a laugh. Yes, but in case he could. Maud again intervened and as her question was for their host marshall was all attention do you consider beadle has overdone it well once more it took consideration the issue of bites however was not of the clearest i don't think we can tell unless he were to i don't think that without seeing it and judging by the special case one can quite know how it would be taken he might on the one side have spoiled so to speak his market and he might, on the other, have scored as never before. It might be, Maud threw in, just the making of him. Surely, Marshall glowed, there's just that chance. What a pity, then, Byte laughed, that there isn't someone to take it. For the light it would throw, I mean, on the laws, so mysterious, so curious, so interesting, that govern the great currents of public attention. They're not wholly whimsical, wayward and wild, they have their strange logic, their obscure reason, if one could only get at it. The man who does, you see, and who can keep his discovery to himself, will make his everlasting fortune as well, no doubt, as that of a few others. It's our branch, our preoccupation, in fact, Miss Blandy's and mine, this pursuit of the incalculable, this study to that end of the great forces of publicity. Only, of course, it must be remembered, Byte went on, that in the case we're speaking of, the man disappearing as Beadle has now disappeared, and supplanting for the time every other topic, must have someone on the spot for him to keep the pot boiling, someone acting with real intelligence in his interest. I mean, if he's to get the good of it when he does turn up. It would never do, you see, that that should be flat. Oh, no, not flat, never. Marshall quailed at the thought. Held as in a vice by his host's high lucidity, he exhaled his interest at every pore. It wouldn't be flat for Beadle, would it? I mean, if he were to come. Not much. It wouldn't be flat for Beadle. I think I can undertake. And Byte undertook so well that he threw himself back in his chair with his thumbs in the armholes of his waistcoat and his head very much up. The only thing is that for Beadle it's a luxury, so to speak, wasted, and so dreadfully, upon my word, that one quite regrets there's no one to step in. To step in? His visitor hung upon his lips. To do the thing better, so to speak, to do it right, to, having raised the whirlwind, really ride the storm, to seize the psychological hour. Marshall met it, yet he wondered. You speak of the reappearance? I see. But the man of reappearance would have, wouldn't he, or perhaps I don't follow, to be the same as the man of the disappearance. It wouldn't do as well, would it, for someone else to turn up? Byte considered him with attention, as if there were fine possibilities. 
No, unless such a person should turn up, say, well, with news of him. But what news? With lights, the more lurid the better on the darkness. With the facts, don't you see, of the disappearance. Marshall, on his side, threw himself back. But he'd have to know them. Oh, said Byte, with prompt portentousness, that could be managed. It was too much by this time for his victim, who simply turned on Maud a dilated eye and a flushed cheek. Mr. Marshall, it made her say, Mr. Marshall would like to turn up. Her hand was on the table, and the effect of her words, combined with this, was to cause him, before a responsive speech could come, to cover it respectfully but expressively with his own. Do you mean, he panted to bite, that you have, amid the general collapse of speculation, facts to give? I've always facts to give. It begot in the poor man a large, hot smile. But how shall I say, authentic, or, as I believe you clever people say, inspired ones? If I should undertake such a case as we're supposing, I would, of course, by that circumstance, undertake that my facts should be, well, worthy of it. I would take, Byte on his own part modestly smiled, pains with them. It finished the business. Would you take pains for me? Byte looked at him now hard. Would you like to appear? Oh, appear, Marshall weakly murmured. Is it, Mr. Marshall, a real proposal? I mean, are you prepared? Wonderment sat in his eyes, an anguish of doubt and desire. But wouldn't you prepare me? Would you prepare me, that's the point, Byte laughed, to prepare you? There was a minute's mutual gaze, but Marshall took it in. I don't know what you're making me say. I don't know what you're making me feel. When one is with people so up in these things, and he turned to his companions, alternately, a look as of conscious doom lighted with suspicion, a look that was like a cry for mercy. One feels a little as if one ought to be saved for oneself, for I dare say one's foolish enough with one's poor little wish. The little wish, my dear sir, Byte took him up, to stand out in the world. Your wish is the wish of all high spirits. It's dear of you to say it, Mr. Marshall was all response. I shouldn't want, even if it were weak or vain, to have lived wholly unknown. And if what you ask is whether I understand you to speak, as it were, professionally? You do understand me? Byte pushed back his chair. Oh, but so well, when I've already seen what you can do. I need scarcely say that having seen it I shan't bargain. Ah, then I shall, Byte smiled. I mean with the papers. It must be half profits. Profits? His guest was vague. Our friend, Maud explained to Byte, simply wants the position. Byte threw her a look. Ah, he must take what I give him. But what you give me, their friend handsomely contended, is the position. Yes, but the terms that I shall get. I don't produce you, of course, Byte went on, till I've prepared you. But when I do produce you, it will be as a value. You'll get so much for me? The poor gentleman quavered. I shall be able to get, I think, anything I ask. So we divide. And Byte jumped up. Marshall did the same, and while with his hands on the back of his chair he steadied himself from the vertiginous view, they faced each other across the table. 
Oh, that's too wonderful. You're not afraid? He looked at a card on the wall, framed, suspended, and marked with the word, Soups. He looked at Maud, who had not moved. I don't know, I may be, I must feel. What I should fear, he added, would be his coming back. Beetles? Yes, that would dish you. But since he can't. I place myself, said Mortimer Marshall, in your hands. Maud Blandy still hadn't moved. She stared before her at the cloth. A small sharp sound, unheard, she saw by the others, had reached her from the street, and with her mind instinctively catching at it, she waited, dissimulating a little for its repetition or its effect. It was the howl of the strand, it was news of the absent, and it would have a bearing. She had a hesitation, for she winced even now with the sense of Marshall's intensest look at her. He couldn't be saved from himself, but he might be still from bite, though it hung, of course, her chance to warn him on what the news would be. She thought with concentration, while her friends unhooked their overcoats, and by the time these garments were donned she was on her feet. Then she spoke. I don't want you to be dished. He allowed for her alarm. But how can I be? Something has come. Something? The men had both spoken. They had stopped where they stood. She again caught the sound. Listen, they're crying. They waited then, and it came. Came of a sudden with a burst, and as if passing the place. A hawker outside with his extra, called by someone and hurrying, bawled as he moved, Death of Beetle Muffet! Extraordinary news! They all gasped, and Maud, with her eyes on bite, saw him, to her satisfaction, at first turn pale. But his guest drank it in. If it's true, then, Marshall triumphed at her, I'm not dished. But she only looked hard at Bite, who struck her as having, at the sound, fallen to pieces, and as having, above all, on the instant turned cold for his worried game. Is it true? she austerely asked. His white face answered, It's true. End of chapter 6